0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of How to Be a Great GM, the podcast, uh, typically called Musings of a GM. Now, last week I was speaking about the problem of being able to get people around a virtual table to play together and the like, and this week I'm going to be talking about the notion of having more than six players and splitting the party. And the two ideas might not seem initially linked together, but I was asked on one of the platforms, I forget which one now, uh, how do I handle parties that are bigger than six people? And my initial response was, well, you don't. You just don't. You 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 don't. You split it up and you... Uh, you, you have multiple groups, and you play on a Monday and a Tuesday. That's how it works. You you just don't do a giant party. Then I was asked another question. How do you deal with people who say don't ever split the party and will keep the party together regardless of the actions of the players? And you go, well, <laughs> uh, you need to encourage people to actually split the party because it helps from a myriad of different reasons. And I've done a whole lot of YouTube videos on how to do th- that exact thing, how to work with a split party, why a split party is good, Um, and and also how to deal with, with big groups. But what I realized in working through those questions is that you can play with a large group if that's what you want. Some people might like the idea of saying, well, we are, we are seven friends. We're three couples and a solo, and we want to play together because we enjoy playing together. That's our game night. How do we handle this? So by saying, well, no, just split it up is not actually useful. At the same time, when you then have groups that don't like to split up the party, you go, well, you should because are benefits So I then went, well, don't be an idiot. Look at it from the perspective of saying, well, if you have a large party, you need to split up that party on a regular basis in order to make it manageable. And I'm going to expand a little bit on that in today's podcast. So I hope that these are interesting, informative, educational, engaging. Maybe they get you to talk with your fellow players around the table I don't know this is we're still we're still collating and collecting feedback based on last week's show so you know keep it coming folks keep it coming that's really what we want um, is your your feedback so all right now let's look at it from two different perspectives so let's firstly uh, look at the large party problem the biggest challenge that you are going to face with a large party is the fact that that it is going to take so much longer to do anything. You have now got a committee of seven or eight or nine people, however many are in this massive party of yours, who are going to want to weigh in on a vote. Now, because the nature of our game, the nature of our hobby is decision and response and reaction, all three of those are debatable. All three of those are camel by committee, right? Um, let me clarify that particular uh, phrasing for those of you who don't work within governments uh, and, and large corporations and things. The, the camel, as far as the saying goes, the camel is a horse designed by committee, and what that means is is that the committee went well we needed to have four legs okay good we needed to be able to run fast yes that's fine um and we needed to be able to have a head and a neck and a tail okay good right but then someone on the committee went yeah but i think that it should actually have the ability to live for days and days without needing to be fed or have any water because that would be really useful And then the committee debates about it for a little while and someone on the committee goes, yes, but I don't think it's particularly beautiful uh, if we create this animal that's got this great big hump, I suppose, on its back. Is that really aesthetically beautiful? And then someone else will go, well, we didn't actually say it had to be beautiful. We just said it had to be functional. So a hump is quite functional. It's not very beautiful. So I feel we should do a hump. I think we should do two humps and then someone goes well two humps is always better than one um you know that's certainly what i say to my secretary no sorry um pg13 uh, bringing it back um so When we have two humps then that's great. But then it needs a long neck to be able to drink lots of water. So let's give it a little bit of a longer neck. Um, Longer legs would always be useful. Let's give it a set of knees that are specifically designed for handling any kind of terrain. So whether that's harsh, frozen terrain or sandy terrain, that's much better. Um, And the hoof idea, which was postulated a while ago, is great. But again, um, no, we don't actually need hooves because they don't do so well in sand. not bad in sand. There's 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 a committee that's been formed to go and analyze whether hooves are the best uh things for sand as well as for hard surfaces and ice. Oh yes, as we mentioned ice. No, no. All right, add ice into the factor. Okay, great. And that's how you end up with a Bactrian camel is by committee, rather than a horse, which would have been designed by perhaps a smaller group. So that long analogy is basically to say that when your group is then deciding what to do, whether that's to go shopping or to negotiate with the wizard or to explore the dungeon, a large group is going to commitify. They are going to just try and find the best possible solution for each of their characters as well as for the bigger picture. And the moment that you have this situation, you then have characters who are going to voice ideas that are simply disruptive because they are bored, because they didn't sign up to role-play committee and dragons, they signed up to play Dungeons and Dragons, and they want to just kill stuff because that's how they are venting, because they spend all their lives in committees designing camels, or horses, or whatever. So we have to take into account that a large group is going to slow us down. This is not new information. I've done a whole bunch of videos on this, as I said before. What is, however, of importance to us is realizing that in a split party, one of the benefits that we speak about when we're talking about splitting up the party is that you are making committees smaller. So in a four-man game, a four-man committee, let's say they take five minutes each to present their argument, that's 20 minutes lost. In a 10-man group, suddenly, that's an hour, basically, that's been lost to making one decision. So you can see that's how the maths works. But if you take that 10-man group and you have split them because three of them are dealing with the wizard, three of them are off-shopping, three of them are discovering the back entryway into the passage of Doom into the back of the castle of the wizard, and one of them is watching out over the entire scene, Yes, it puts more pressure on you as the GM to keep them all active, but it is going to speed up the decision-making process on all of those different factors rather than if the group of 10 had arrived at the door, if the group of 10 was keeping observation over things, and you're going to have to be keeping all 10 uh, players engaged anyway, now you have the opportunity to make it much more dramatic. Why do I say that? Well, if you are not particularly conscious of time within your game and you use Hollywood time rather than real time, which Hollywood has been doing for a 100 years and it's worked for them, so I don't see why we should fight that particular notion nonetheless. The idea of this Hollywood time is that the player who is observing the entire valley might decide, you know what, I'm going to go and join the party that is fighting the wizard down at the front door of that tower. Under normal circumstances, in real time, it would take the character perhaps half an hour to climb down the side of the valley and then to run over to the tower, by which time, according to the standard five or six second turn convention or round convention that is used in our role-playing games, the battle is long over, the characters are dead, and the wizard has gone to go and make tea and crumpets. So Hollywood Times says, well, actually, what you're going to do is you're going to dash down that hill. And whilst the party is desperately engaged in this battle with the wizard, you are going to arrive within the third round or the fourth round or just at the last moment when it's absolutely critical for you to arrive and save the day. What this does is it makes everything much more dramatic because the players are going, oh my goodness, Bob is not here. We are about to lose. We're about to die. And the GM goes, and then you come dashing up sweat, pouring down your brow, energy high, adrenaline pumping. You're seeing your friends fall because of this wizard's power. And you arrive. What do you do? You hack the wizard. The wizard dies at the last moment or surrenders or gives up or runs away or turns into bats and flies away. It doesn't matter. The point is... You have made the moment so much more dramatic. Now, whilst that's going on, you are intercutting to the other group of players who are at the back of the castle exploring the corridor that leads into the bowels of the kitchens and all that kind of wonderful stuff. And they are perhaps having an intense negotiation with the cook. And the cook is being difficult. I didn't order any carrots. What do you mean I ordered carrots? Why have you brought me carrots? I didn't order carrots. Cut two. you swing for the wizard. He casts lightning bolt, draining your soul. I know that's not what happens, but I'm doing dramatic. It causes you to fall backwards. Are you sure, carrots? I mean, I'm pretty certain the master wanted peas tonight. The wizard fires off a bolt of lightning, dodging your arrow, deflecting your sword with a shield against swords. I really think that carrots were not on the menu. Do you see how dramatic it becomes? The players are going to love it. You're going to love it because you're not sitting there as the GM waiting for 10 people to take their round to hit and kill this wizard. Which is another point, is that when you have split up the party for a large group of people, the combats become faster if there are lots of different combats going on than if it's the same combat. And that's purely psychological. So when you look at it, you go, "Okay, I've got three people fighting the wizard. I've got three people fighting the deranged chef. I've got three people in town who are now going to be fighting off a bunch of bandits. And I've got the one person running down the valley who's going to have a solo combat versus a deranged wombat because that's what I feel is appropriate. If you were running this as one giant combat where it was a wizard with a deranged wombat as well as individuals that the cook has got helping them, if it's one big melee, it becomes very dull. It becomes very much a you hit, you hit, you miss, you hit, you mit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we don't want that. We want it to be dramatic. We want it to be exciting. So if you have different combats going on, it is still... A combat round. It is still right, Brian. What's your character doing, Marcy? What's your character doing, Timothy? What's your character doing, Cello? What's your character doing, et cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You're still moving around the group, but now each little group is almost—I don't want to say—in competition with each other, but there is definitely going to be a case of saying, "Oh well, uh, the cook battle is going really well." The wizard battle is going very, very badly, and we need, we need help. And the solo battle, the scout who is desperately running to try and get to the wizard battle has actually befriended the deranged wombat, who dis- we discover was actually a druid who'd forgotten that they were a druid, who will now come in and help. It does require a huge amount of agility on your behalf in order to be able to bounce between these different sort of battles and things. But if you practice, you can get used to it. And I often find when I'm doing this, it keeps me more engaged because I'm weaving these different narratives together. Now, we also know very much that the party will get together. And so then how does this principle of splitting the party work? I think that when you have a large party, you are going to have clusters of skills. And I think that's the important way to look at it, is that the different skill groups represented within the party form split little parties, if, if you take my meaning. So your party is moving into the court of the Lord and the, they're going to address his majesty some of the players will have something to say to the king. Some of them won't have anything to say. And this is where I feel your true artistry as a GM is gonna come to the fore. You are going to split the party without splitting the party. And I mean, in this sense, that as they walk into the grand entry halls, the warrior group, let's say there's two people who play warriors and a rogue who really doesn't have any interest in the king whatsoever. As they are entering into this, this audience chamber, the vizier comes from the side or the chief uh, bailiff comes from the side or the sheriff comes from the side and asks the three that are not going to be involved, the players, uh, the, the the warriors, I should say, and the rogue, Uh, "'Please come aside. I have something to say to you. "'I need your input. We've been tracking this problem, "'and you seem to be warriors of great skill and cunning. "'Give me your insight whilst they're talking to His Majesty.' Then the rest of the party who want to address the king can address the king. If you still have folks left over, like the bard who doesn't really want to say anything, a not highly unlikely situation, that was a bad example. Let's say there is a wizard who is against the king and doesn't want to talk to the king. Instead of having them awkwardly sitting there and not saying anything, or not being engaged, well, now it becomes a simple case of saying, well, now the vizier steps to this one. I notice you're not saying anything to his majesty. I don't have a problem with that, of course. We all have to guard our tongues. But what I do have is another challenge, which I think you might be uniquely suited for. So, that will then engage that character, and that player. And that's the important thing, is, is to engage everybody. You're splitting the party, even the parties together. Is this always possible? Am I just making this stuff up going, well, you know, I try to do this and I try not to It is something that you consciously, consciously have to attempt. You have to make sure that you are doing this. You have to drive yourself to, to thinking in this way of breaking things down into clusters, into groups of players, rather than an individual player basis. That's not to say in the, in the in in the least that you are not going to be running individual stories either. If you are a truly exceptional GM, you will take those players that you have split apart and you will customize it to their characters' backgrounds. So you are dealing with a lot of different moving parts, but in slightly more manageable ways. And don't burden yourself with trying to deal with all 10 characters' backstories in the same adventure. I think that's insane. Rather, choose one character, deal with their backstory for an adventure, and then move on to the next one. The other nine players, or however many there might be, will get their turn, but you're keeping them busy by keeping them split apart, even though they're not split apart. So that was what was going through my head this week when I was reading the questions that people have been asking. Those questions often come to me through discord.gg forward slash great GM. And that is where we uh, collect all of these questions. The uh, Marketing Goblin, she is running polls and questions and things on a regular basis on our social media or will be moving forward. So watch out for that as well if you have questions and things. And again, I've said at the beginning of this podcast, I'm going to say it again. If you have uh, comments on how this is done. Let us know. We really want to know. Do you feel that you would like to see me sitting here rolling my eyes as I try and talk and express this idea that I have in my head and come up with these crazy names? Is that something that you would like? Again, let us know. It's all doable. We are here to to chat and share and learn from one another and and really just enjoy this remarkable hobby that we have. You know, I look at this and I go, is this like is this like football or 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 a sport type of hobby or or you know, do mountain climbers have podcasts where they talk about the latest pitons and ropes and the 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 idea that if you are 10 climbers, you should always have three climbers as a cluster. I'm fairly certain they do in some shape or form only because we are all humans and we all operate in pretty much the same way. So why we don't apply principles from one ex- level of experience to the other, I don't know. And I often see that, by the way, in role-playing particularly, is you go, well, you do this in this group, not role-playing group, and in your, in your woodworking group, you do that. But you don't do that in your role-playing group, or vice versa. Why not look at ways that they can transfer across? Now, I'm not gonna wax on anymore about that. The podcast is coming to an end, I promise you. And, uh, yes, so on that point, if you have a large group, use the split party principle as often as you can. If you have a small group, then sometimes you must make sure that they have the committee option where they can discuss and they can plan. But that's all about pacing, and that's, that's a whole different topic altogether. Anyway, until next time, I wish you and yours the very happiest of gaming.